Good morning, everyone. Um, Pastor Greg here for Sunday worship. Uh, and we're online only this weekend. We had a bit of a setback. Let me explain. One of our members of our ministry team here has tested positive for COVID. Now, that, that's, uh, that's the bad news. The good news is the person is asymptomatic and doing really just fine physically. So there's really no uh, serious threat at that point. But uh, all of us in the office have been exposed to this person in the last week. And so this next week, we'll all be getting tested. And once that testing is concluded, then we'll know better uh, what we're dealing with, at least here immediately with our ministry team. And so we'll uh, be in touch with you later in the week about whether or not we'll be online or on campus as well next weekend. So we'll send out a, a, a text bulletin and also I'll be posting all these things on our social media platform. So uh, stay tuned there. Thank you for your prayers. Um, listen, God's got this. He's in control. We are trusting him. My faith is strong, and I want you to know that. The best is yet to come, and God is with us. So you be encouraged, and we'll get through this, and, and you'll see. God will, God will cause us to come through the other end, and we'll be better for it. So be encouraged and be blessed. Today, I want to continue this series that we began last week about building bridges. There are lots of division points, fissures, if you will, in our culture right now. Last week, I talked about bridging the racial divide. If you didn't hear that message, I'd encourage you to go back and give it a listen, a good response to that. And today, I want to talk about bridging the gender divide. Uh, there's always been a bit of a conflict between men and women. I want to talk about that today and hope it'll add value and be meaningful to you. I've chosen as our text from Genesis chapter 1, first book of the Bible, first chapter of the Bible, verses 26 and 27. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, and of course, we'll project the words on the screen. These two verses read, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Then verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. May God enlighten and strengthen our faith through his word. Thank you so much. Um, these are days of massive change and unprecedented opportunity for women in our culture. Now think about it. A century ago or so, education for women was relatively rare and often thought unnecessary. But today, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, there are more women than men in college, more women in their late 20s who have completed college than men. In the last 10 consecutive years, for over a decade now, all of the master's degrees and doctoral degrees granted, uh, the majority of those persons are women. In politics, uh, about a century ago, women did not have the constitutional right to vote. Uh, beginning in 1998, though, more women now vote than men. There's a growing number of women in Congress serving as federal judges. Of course, in 2016, a woman uh, contended for the White House and it's just a matter of time until a woman is elected president of the United States. We know that salaries of women executives have increased 
dramatically in the recent decade. Fortune 500 boards have many more times more women serving on them than they did as recently as the turn of the century, 2000. In the home, now this is kind of humorous, in the home, the number of women holding the remote control while watching TV with their husband or boyfriend more than doubled in, uh, since the year 2000. Now watch this, it increased from 0.2% to 0.4% of women now holding the remote when watching TV. I guess men still have control of the remote. So obviously the trends indicate that we're moving in the right direction and greater opportunity and greater fairness for women. So why do we bring up this issue? What's the point? Well, we learn from Genesis chapter one, verse 27 from our text today. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God made human beings, men and women, to live together in harmony, in oneness, in community, mutual servanthood, mutual submission. But it all got, it all got junked up uh, in the fall, in the garden, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where sin entered the world. When the man and woman disobeyed God, it didn't just mess up their relationship with God, it also messed up their relationship with one another. When God asked the man, why did you, why did you take of that fruit, forbidden fruit? Why did you partake of it? Why did you eat it? And Adam said, it's the woman, the woman you gave me. She, it was her idea. <laughs> she gave it to me. So the tension and enmity which arose between men and women at the fall lasts to this moment, to this day. And so there is this divide that exists. And this is uh, perhaps most poignantly displayed in the number of divorces occurring in our culture. Uh, I recently read an article on a major Christian publication asking the question, can the wedding vows be preserved? Marriage is under assault, as you know. Now we wanna have a biblical worldview, we have a biblical vision, we want to understand God's original design and original intent for human beings. That, that is the foundation stone upon which we stand. This is what we believe, this is what we teach, this is how we want to model our lives. And the biblical model is very simple. God believes that marriage is between one man and one woman in mutual, exclusive, monogamous relationship for a lifetime. That's God's definition of marriage. And of course, now we have a different definition, a legal different definition for marriage. And we have cohabitation. There are now more people cohabitating in the United States than are actually married. It's an astonishing statistic for me. And you also see this uh, divide in charges and countercharges related to sexual harassment, restraining orders, difficulties in working together, mishandled sexuality, domestic violence, mishandled power, just simply not knowing how to relate to one another. We live in the age of the hashtag me too. And there is all kinds of tension, all kinds of accusation, all kinds of division. So the intent with which God made us, male and female has been badly damaged. Now, this is what I wanna say. How men and women are to relate to one another is not simply a matter of legislation. Hear this now, it's not just a matter of economic structure or social structure or social narrative or social construct, not even vocational opportunities. It's not only about that. This is first, foremost, and fundamentally a spiritual dynamic. 
there are, there are spiritual laws, spiritual principles that God has put into place that are foundation stones of civilization. And it's good for us and right for us to understand those and, and to stand upon those and to model those. So God's plan was to make human beings male and female different from one another, but differences that are designed to enhance and complete and delight one another. Difference is good and it's meaningful and it's strengthening when we get it right. Well, there are three things I wanna to mention today that uh, need to be bridged, to bridge this divide between men and women, three areas. Here's the first one, it's on your outline and that's simply communication. Now this isn't news, isn't it? Communication has always been an issue between men and women. Deborah Tannen, social linguist, University of Southern California, wrote a book several years ago entitled, You Just Don't Understand. You Just Don't Understand. Now, I'm not sure this book is still in print, but uh, it makes sense to me. And it's about communication between men and women. And here's her thesis in a nutshell. Communication between men and women is as many ways cross-cultural communication. As if to say men and women grew up in different cultures. So we tend to perceive and experience life quite differently from one another. So when a man and a woman get together and meet for the first time and try to build a relationship, it's like, like they don't understand the language, don't understand the culture, don't understand the worldview of each other. Now let me just add this caveat before I go any further that that I'm gonna be giving some broad generalizations and definitions today uh, that first of all uh, are based on research, but the answer to why we are so different, that's left up to other complexities, which I'm not sure anyone understands, where we were raised, our biology, the effects of a sinful world, God's original design and intent. I mean, this is a complicated, complex, deeply complex question and so when I'm talking about these broad generalizations, don't get caught up uh, in some kind of specific example that may contradict. Uh, and particularly and personally, it may not fit, fit any particular man or any particular woman because we're all different and unique. There is as much diversity in the world as there are people in the world. And God apparently loves that or he wouldn't create so many different people. And so here we are uh, in this moment uh, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm gonna be generalizing, but don't take it personally if it doesn't apply to you personally. This is just the caveat. So Deborah Tannen writes, a man tends to experience the world as a hierarchical social order in which he is constantly keeping score. He is generally driven to protect himself from other attempts to push him around. His goal in conversation generally is to preserve his independence and avoid failure. So in communication and conversation, a man generally tries to preserve his independence and avoid looking like he doesn't know what he's doing. His experience is that he must have status or dominance, so high social ranking for emotional survival. A woman now, contrast that, Tannen writes, tends to experience the world as a kind of network of relationships. Her conversations tend to be negotiated for closeness where the goal is to preserve intimacy and avoid isolation. Her experience is she must have connection for emotional survival. So connection for emotional survival, generally speaking for women, contrast that with 
with his experience, and he must have status for emotional survival, not connection. These are, these are important distinctions and generally true. And so the two cultures lead to very different communication styles. For example, if you've got two guys in a locker room, uh, one guy may look at the other guy in the locker room and say, you know, that's quite a gut you've got. And you actually, you ought to give that thing its own zip code. Now, this comment isn't made to be critical or, or, to, or to start a fight. It's just simply meant to merely establish gut dominance because, you know, someone's got to be Someone's got to be higher ranking in the gut category. And so, and so topics in a men's locker room will include jobs and sports and stock market. And then we will tend to go out and play hoops or tennis or golf games where you keep score so you can tell who won or lost. This is how men go through this. When there's a conversation between two women in a locker room, one woman might say, I hate my thighs. They're like tree trunks. Now, her friend will not turn to her in the locker room and say, yeah, yeah, you're right. You could crush coconuts with those things. Listen, a woman would never say that to another woman. Women don't talk like that. The other woman is likely to say, no, your legs look great. Uh, plus, I love your hair. I would kill to have hair as thick as yours. You know, my hair is so thin and, and stringy. Then after the conversation, they'll go out and do aerobics or yoga because there's no scorekeeping in aerobics or yoga. Yeah. If men are watching TV and the chip bowl gets empty, then, then a conversation around dominance ensues. Hey, why don't you go get some more chips, refill the chip bowl? And one guy would say, look, I bought the chips. Another guy would say, look, I'm not going to do it. You know, it's my bowl. Another guy says, well, listen, it was my idea. And it's about establishing dominance. You know, it's a pecking order. For women... Chip gathering tends to be a communal event. <laughs> First, there's a discussion about whether they should have more chips. Then if it's decided they should have more chips, they go into the kitchen and gather as a chips uh, uh, group and sort it out that way. Decision-making for women is often an opportunity for connection. It's about consensus. It tends not to go that way for men. Decision-making is an opportunity to assert independence, so they want to do it on their own. Another social scientist, Aaron Beck, summarizes a large body of research regarding the fact that boys and girls grow up differently. He said, boys tend to play outside in large groups that are hierarchically structured, and within the group, dominance is the key to, to status. So the way you get your pecking order is, is by how dominant you become in the, in the group. And these groups tend to have a leader who tells the other boys what to do and resists proposals from the other guys. So conversations between boys tend to have a lot of commands and boasts and insults. Girls, on the other hand, tend to play in small groups or pairs. The center of a girl's social life tends to be her best friend. And within the group, intimacy is the key to status. So girls tend to be good at reading emotions and responding effectively. Girls are much less likely to give orders. And this is what the research says, because bossiness will be punished in the girl culture. They're more like, likely to express preferences or tell secrets as an indication of intimacy. Girls tend to use phrases like, let's do this, or how about doing that? Boys tend to say, give me that, or get out of here, <laughs> things like that. For girls, words are used as bridges. Uh, for boys, words are used to establish dominance and the pecking order, sometimes as weapons. So here are the implications. Now, come back to me. Here are the implications. 
Here's how this plays out. Men, when they grow up, are quick to use words in public settings. But words for men are often stress-producing in public. And so most men tend to retreat from their words in private. And this is, this is not a revelation to anyone. This is, this is simply acknowledging what happens, doesn't it, in our homes and in our other relationships. For women, words are often stress-relieving. Not stress-producing, but relieving. They indicate connectedness and intimacy. So if you find two people get married and one finds words stress-producing and the other finds words stress-relieving, that creates challenges. I was just on the phone yesterday with my 86-year-old mother, and she was giggling like a schoolgirl, reminiscing about my boyhood, my childhood. My first name is John, and she gave me a nickname. She nicknamed me Silent John. Because apparently when I was small, they couldn't get me to talk to anyone. That's hilarious. But I wouldn't talk to anyone. So they, they gave me this nickname, Silent John. And she just giggled saying, look, you know, God sure played a joke on you. Now you have to talk all the time. <laughs> and it is kind of curious. Uh, this was in a small group discussion and some couples were talking about their lives. And one of them described their daughter who for just a couple of seconds apparently came nose to nose on the high school lacrosse field with an opponent. Now, lacrosse can be a, you know, a contact sport for, for girls, women, and lacrosse is a rigorous game. And so here's this, this teenage girl, and she comes nose to nose with an opponent. And for a moment, there's this uneasiness. And then finally, one of them said, the parents reported in this group, one of them said, what kind of eyeshadow are you wearing? Well, can you imagine two guys on a football field, nose to nose? Hey, dude, what's that cologne you're wearing? This really smells good. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Never. Uh, another parent reported that his teenage son had been with a friend traveling in a pickup. The trip lasted six hours. He said, and I quote, Dad, we didn't have to stop for anything, and the coolest thing about the trip was that neither one of us said a word. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. That was friendship to that kid. Now, let me explain why. It was freedom because he didn't have to prove himself, defend his turf, establish dominance. They could just be together. And for him, that was wonderful. Again, Aaron Beck says this affects communication in marriage. So he summarizes. From a woman's perspective, this relationship is working so long as we can keep talking about it. From a man's perspective, this relationship is not working so long as we have to talk about it. So if I'm going to bridge the communication gap, then I may have to work a lot harder at understanding the needs of the other person who tends to live in a different culture than I do. So as the world shrinks around us, we are more and more aware of the need to be sensitive to the different cultures, the different styles, the different uh, approaches and it can easily be missed, even in the context of our own home or our own business, if we're not sensitive to this cross-cultural reality of communication. When someone is speaking, a man responds with nods. Mm-hmm. Man would go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what is a man communicating when someone else is speaking and he's going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. He is communicating, I agree with you. I agree with that. When someone is speaking and a woman is going, mm, mm-hmm, 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 she is not saying, I agree with you. She is saying, 
I'm listening, keep talking. I'm listening, keep talking. And, and so subsequently, after a man has gone through his position statement and she's going, mm-hmm, 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 he thinks that she was agreeing with him. So he goes ahead and makes a decision. And subsequently, she said, why did you do that? He said, well, you, you told me it was okay. She said, when did I say that? Well, you were saying, mm-hmm, when I was telling you what I was going to do. She said, I wasn't agreeing with you. I was just telling you, I, I just enjoy you talking so much. I want to encourage you to keep going. And it's a big setup. And miscommunication happens all the time. Let me put a verse of scripture on the screen for it. It's James chapter 1, verse 19. Look at this. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Wow. That's our model. That's the standard. That's the challenge. Wow. Easier said than done. So communication is a big bridge that we have to continue to keep building between the sexes. Now, here's the second point, and this is not going to be a surprise to anyone. It's on your outline, that sexuality is a real issue, always has been, between men and women. Now, this is a unique challenge. Sexual chemistry has always existed between men and women. It's always brought amazing joy and meaning and delight when it's handled well. And it's always brought untold pain and devastation when it's mismanaged. All of us, all of us could tell a story. So while we've always had sexual chemistry at work, there are a couple of things that are unique to our particular time in history. The first thing is that we live in a world more saturated with sexual messages than in any time in history. This is so pervasive now. It is so overwhelming. Mass media, movies, internet, on and on. We are constantly bombarded with sexual images. This is, this is not... not um, not only uh, something that is pervasive, but it's incredibly damaging. And, and this may be a surprise to you, but it's especially damaging to women because it sets an expectation, a standard, if you will, of cultural expectation that women simply can't live up to. And so it's, it's overwhelming to try to, to manage those expectations when there are so many images coming all the time. And so it's, it's just really hard to manage. The second reality that we have in, in our time, which is unique, is that we live in a new relational reality. For most of history, when you went to the marketplace, it was men working with men. But that's all shifted now. That's all changed with more opportunities for women. And so men and women now work together. They share office space. They share workspace. They share projects. Uh, men and women may be assigned to travel together. They may negotiate together. They may teach things together. The whole gambit of business and the work environment now contains both men and women. So the reality has added unusual pressure on marriage relationships. The workplace can be an intimacy-producing environment. Now, if this is the world you live in and it consumes the best hours of your day, I mean, you understand this. You come home exhausted. You're depleted. You share very little common ground with your spouse, and it can be a setup for real serious problems. This happens every day in our world. So how do we respond? Here's the first thing. We, we have to establish boundaries. There have to be rules that you put in place for yourself, for those situations at work, long before you ever get there. Determine that you will not place yourself in a work environment that will provide intimacy opportunities. 
And for you, that the boundaries may be no private lunches, no, no private travel. Um, you have to treat the other person. Maybe there's not even any physical contact. You just, there has to be boundaries that you establish. Now, you should know that in Jesus' day, <laughs> there, was, there was a sect of rabbis who actually got the nickname, the bruised and bloodied rabbis. And what they did in order to address this issue was that they decided that they would make as one of their rules that anytime they saw a woman coming down the street, they would lower their heads. And so they're walking around with their heads down so that their goal was to never lay eyes on a woman. Crazy goal, (laughs) insane goal, but they got the nickname bruised and bloody because they're constantly walking into walls, walking into poles, you know, bloodying up their faces because they're, they're not looking at anybody. Now, this was not the strategy of Jesus, I'm happy to report. Jesus actually established a community in which men and women would actually learn together and relate to one another. Occasionally, they would travel together doing ministry. So what do I do if I'm in a working relationship with someone of the opposite sex and I feel some spark of attraction to them while I'm married to someone else? Well, uh, you know, I think about this in my own context. My wife, Beth, uh, actually works in an environment with other men. And so I asked the question, does she develop significant, meaningful relationships with some of them? And the answer is absolutely, of course she does. And does she find some of them more attractive than me? (laughs) What, are you kidding? No way. (laughs) We can give a second thought to another person because of that. So here's the question. Whether you are single or married, when, when will you cease being aware that members of the opposite sex are attracted to you. Whether you're single or married, when, when will it occur to you that you are no longer attracted to another person? Let me give you the answer. When you die, that's when it will happen. No longer attracted to anyone else. When you die. And so, for some of you, it may be sometime after that. <laughs> oh my gosh. You, some, you know, I... A guy in my position here, I'm, I'm actually standing in an empty room, and I know that I'm talking to lots and lots of people. None of you are within the sound of my hearing. I have no idea how you're responding to this. Every one of you should be forced to do this sometime and try to pull this off. It's hilarious. It's amazing. So, so here, here's this feeling guilty or ashamed or beating yourself up over this attraction thing. Listen, that's not a good idea. It's not a, not a redemptive, helpful, spiritual practice. Don't beat yourself up. Just deal with, with it by establishing boundaries and then living with some integrity. Remember, God made us this way. It's not a bad thing that you have attraction. We have natural capacity for attraction. Uh, so it's not only natural, it's inevitable. God said it's good. He made the whole creation, said that's good. When, then he made Adam and Eve, saw them together. He said that is very good, very, very good. So handle it wisely. The better something is, the more destructive it becomes when it's handled unwisely. Handle it wisely. Now, here are three tests. These are tests that I use, maybe they'll work for you, that will help you stay on track in cross-gender relationships. Number one is the spouse test. This is the, the most obvious one for me. Am I relating to this person in a way that would allow my wife to remain comfortable if she were watching? If I'm engaging in a relationship in a way that I would want to protect from my wife, it's probably an indicator that I'm over the line. Reestablish the boundary. So it's the spouse test. Number two is the sibling test. 
is this interaction one that I would also have with my sister or brother? Are my feelings, expressions, and behaviors with this other person consistent with what I would have with my sibling? Look at this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Look at this. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So this is not isolation. It's not, you know, the bruised and bloody Pharisees, rabbis, walking around with knots on their head all the time. This is simply a lifestyle that can include deep levels of relational intimacy with purity. Think about that, with absolute purity. Can, can you treat that guy like he's your brother, like he's your father, like she's your sister with purity? Sure you can. So it's the sibling test. And then the third test is the platform test. This is one that comes to my mind. Am I relating to this other person in such a way that if someone made a movie of it and showed it on the screens before the whole church, would it be okay? So you have to establish your own ground rules, boundaries, travel, private meetings, late hour, late hour rules, ask for accountability from a trusted friend if you need to do that. If you reach the fear stage and you know if you don't break it off, you're afraid it will cross the line, then you've got to break it off. I mean, you've got to smarten up. You've got to do the right thing at the right time. And then think about the legacy you want to leave with your spouse and your children and your church and your community. What kind of legacy are you leaving in this particular area? Are you on track or is this an area of your life that actually needs some work? So communication, sexuality, these are bridges that need, need to be built across this divide. Here's the last thing I want to mention. It's a simple word. It's called servanthood servanthood. Since the fall, we've been more interested, generally speaking, in getting the other person to do what I want rather than making sure the needs of the other are met. So much of the gender rhetoric today is simply about power. Women trying to claim it, men trying to hold on to it. Women make the mistake of attempting to claim the same level of control and power of men. Could I just say to you women who, uh, who are out there and you're going for it and God bless you, if you're merely trying to claim the same power and control of men, then you are aiming way too low, way too low. Aim higher, please. Aim higher. Discern the will of God for your life in the context of your sense of call, your gifts, the qualities that God has placed within you, and then you go for it. And don't let some other, some other illustration, some other image male or female, distract you from God's best design for your life. Let me say it again. Women need men, and men need women. This is, this is God's plan. We need each other because in all the universe, only we two, men and women, are the co-bearers of the image of God. God calls us into a community, mutual delight, Joy, chemistry, honor, servanthood, submission, and it matters. It matters so much. One night near the end of Jesus' life on the earth, he laid a towel over his arm and he took up a basin of water. 
And he knelt down and he washed the disciples' feet. And he simply said, as I am serving you, you should now serve one another. And this should be the model that we put in place as we think about bridging the divide between genders. May God give us grace to be submitted, loving, careful, honorable in all these relationships. Let's pause and pray. I want you to think about this for a minute. I know that going through this simple little message today with these simple points that God has started talking to some of you about this. For some of you, within the sound of my voice right now, maybe it means letting go of anger or mistrust because you've been mistreated by the opposite sex. Time to let it go. And maybe for some of you, it's ceasing to regard the opposite sex as objects and beginning to honor them. Or maybe changing the way you relate to folks around the office or other work environments or ministry teams or small groups. Wouldn't it be something if we could model at Union Chapel the original intent of our creator God to love and honor and serve and dignify one another and both genders in such a way as to cause God to stop and say, hey, very good, very good. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing and mysterious choice you made to create human beings, male and female. So much of it is mystery to us and wonderful. And we too often misuse this gift and create only heartache and pain. But we are so grateful for the goodness and potential that exists between us. We really do want to become the kind of men and women you want us to be and to build the kind of community about which you would say, very good. So help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. And the people said, amen.